This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 13th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The reformation of Congress now underway will not be welcomed by those currently in power. So says Matt Kibbe, president and CEO of FreedomWorks and author of the new book, Hostile Takeover, Resisting Centralized Government's Stranglehold on America. We spoke earlier today. Your book is called Hostile Takeover. And if anyone were paying attention to the Republican National Convention, that seems an even more appropriate title, given how uh, the youthful energy that was being injected into the Republican Party through Ron Paul's delegates were treated pretty poorly. And it seems almost as if the RNC was trying to say something like, well, once we put down this Ron Paul rebellion, we can start to focus really on getting some new energy into this party. It was really a classic behavior of entrenched management fighting against a shareholder uprising. And that's, that's the whole point of the title of the book as a, as a takeover is when the shareholders realize that management is driving the company into the ground and they reassert their property right. They show up at the shareholders meeting and usually somebody gets fired. When that happens, senior management circles the wagons. They, they have all these mechanisms for protecting themselves and they start attacking the shareholders. They start attacking the customers. That's what a hostile takeover is. And it, hap- it played out right on the Republican convention floor. It seems that uh, within the Republican Party, uh, certainly within the Democratic Party, uh, politicians really like to offer just enough that they think is going to let them capture that uh, median voter. Yeah. And uh, I can remember the $61 billion that Republicans wanted to cut out of the federal budget. Is there any growing realization, as you can see it, among the upper management of the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party that there is this much greater appetite for spending cuts and for fiscal restraint? Yeah, I think there is. And you can see some some indications that the, the center of gravity is starting to shift. One indication would be how many Republican senators, all of them freshmen, all of them at least explicitly or implicitly part of the Tea Party class, they all offered balanced budgets, some that that got there as quickly as five years. I think Rand Paul's got there in five years. Very little blowback on that. And I happen to be a bigger fan of, of Paul Ryan's budget. There's there's reasons why his numbers don't look as good that have nothing to do with the reality of the, the actual policies behind them, particularly on entitlement reform. You don't get the kind of savings from CBO that's actually real. So when Mitt Romney chose Paul Ryan, he basically was acknowledging that every Republican, House, Senate, presidential, even state office, I would argue, now has to be comfortable defending the idea that you have to do something about entitlements, defending the idea that you actually have to offer a balanced budget. Democrats uh, in their most recent platform upgrade uh, cut uh, civil liberties language uh, across the board and Republicans, to the contrary, actually added some language about uh, dealing with the domestic use of drones and how this should be restricted. Do you think that that is a a shift in maybe which party cares more about civil liberties? Is it Democrats just trying to avoid embarrassment? Or uh, is it perhaps just a growing realization uh, among new energy within the Republican Party that uh, civil liberties matter? Uh, you know, the, uh, at some point, the progressives, the radical progressives, the real top-down, I want to control everything progressives took over the Democratic Party. 
and Barack Obama represents that wing of the party. And it's not surprising to me that civil liberties would lose in that transition. Conversely, if you think about uh, all of these new constituencies that are showing up within the Republican community, you have Tea Partiers, you have Ron Paul activists, you have a number of people that are motivated by freedom. So this may be a Nixon goes to China moment where contrary to popular perception, it is in fact Republicans that get us where we need to be. In electoral politics, money matters a lot. And Citizens United, I think, handed in particular Tea Partiers a very potent weapon, Citizens United and SpeechNow.org in super PACs. This is groups of people that can organize more freely with respect to political speech than they've ever really been able to do before. Uh, can this revolution, this turnover that you're talking about, occur without more of those kinds of reforms? I actually think that the key to winning is not just about money. And there's a lot more power, there's a lot more value in a decentralized community of people that have self-organized and are able to walk precincts in state after state and district after district. You really can't build that with money. You have to build it organically. And I think the real power in the Tea Party movement has not been its financing, but but this, this aspect of it. A lot of the super PACs, and I think Freedom Works for America, our super PAC is an exception to that. A lot of super PACs just run TV ads. I don't think that's how you win win the future. Um, I think the new technology is very decentralized. We, we're a service center for these activists. So in other words, if they want to distribute yard signs, we're going to produce yard signs. And that, that to me is sort of a different mentality, but I think politics is going to shift that direction. You talk a lot about the Federal Reserve and uh, the fact that um, it has been the great enabler of a lot of this, this spending this, and mischief that's been going on in Washington for a long time. And one of the current concerns that you expressed at uh, the book forum today was about interest rates yeah. and where those are headed. Is this an opportunity? That is, uh, if interest rates go up, obviously we're going to be paying a lot more in terms of payments on U.S. debt. Does that present an opportunity to really have these kinds of discussions finally? I think it does, and it, it's it's going to be a necessity. And sometimes government will do the right thing when it's taken every other single option off the table. And uh, doing something about the soundness of our currency has to be one, the debt um, growth. And growth is going to be linked to the tax code and the, and the foot of government on, on business and innovation. You, you're going to have to deal with all these things at the same time. And the transparency that is imposed by this decentralized community on the Federal Reserve is, is really the worst thing that's ever happened to them. They like it closed. And they like the idea that, that the smartest guys in the room can, can redesign the banking system, for instance. That's not going to happen anymore because people understand what happens in real time. Barack Obama has clearly done his level best to get the smartest guys into the room to make decisions on behalf of uh, Americans. But it doesn't seem to me that Mitt Romney has tried to draw a particularly strong contrast in that regard. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. And, and up until the selection of Paul Ryan, in a lot of ways, you could argue that the, the Romney campaign, other than being against Barack Obama's policies, was kind of a campaign about nothing. But with the selection of Ryan, you, I think you've seen a more substantive conversation 
and frankly, just an obligation for, for Republicans to show up when the Democrats attack them on ending Social Security as we know it and, and destroying Medicare. If you don't respond to those in a rational way, they do hurt. The economist Vincent Ostrom has said um, that facts, I'm paraphrasing, facts don't speak for themselves. That is, you have to have a common understanding about the implications of any given true statement in order to really grapple with uh, the impact of a fact. And it seems like the Tea Party uh, movement has been this attempt to develop a common understanding about the state of affairs that I think, to the extent that this is more of a conservative and libertarian movement, has not really existed in the broad public for a very long time. If you think about it in terms that, that Frederick Hayek might talk about it, you have all of this local knowledge coming together and creating something, a, a social intelligence, as my old mentor Don Lavoie liked to call it, that is so much more significant than in the past. And it's driven by the internet, it's driven by the decentralization of information and how people set up their RSS feeds and how they share information on Facebook and how they connect with each other on social media. It's a very bottom-up process that is introducing people to Hayek. It's introducing them to what QE3 is. It's introducing them to not just the Constitution, but the debates that led and the intellectual foundations that led to the signing of that document. That's power. That's why I'm such an optimist about the future, because in a decentralized world, freedom wins. You pick on, if I may say, you pick on Brink Lindsay at one point in your book, who uh, uh, works here at the Cato Institute for a statement he made talking about sort of the conservative standard bearers of old, that is yeah. William F. Buckley, people who provided a great intellectual foundation. His criticism was, well, uh, in those days, conspiracy theorists were relegated uh, off to the side, but you, uh, I think, are, are making a claim that uh, we need to be confident in people's ability to separate the wheat from the chaff. Yes, yeah, so if you believe in the market and you believe that knowledge emerges from a process of that looks really chaotic at any given moment. Hayek used to say there's all these bits of knowledge that don't, that don't really convey anything until they're, they're developed into a price. And those prices convey knowledge. Apply that to a decentralized media. We've always had pamphleteers. We've always had the rabble-rousers in the streets. And if there is a self-correcting mechanism where good ideas su succeed and bad ideas lose, they will succeed most in a decentralized world from the bottom up where you have competition instead of PBS deciding who the three smart guys are that can represent all of us. I like the bottom-up approach. I think it's a bad idea ever to put one person in charge of truth. It's not Walter Cronkite anymore. Matt Kibbe is president and CEO of FreedomWorks and author of Hostile Takeover, Resisting Centralized Government's Stranglehold on America. You can watch a forum for the book at Cato.org.